Hello, and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus. This is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds and preview what's to come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. Roger, this past Sunday, you had the honor of preaching on Sunday morning. You took us back to a classic text, Luke chapter 23, and drew our attention to what a dying man saw. Yeah, it it comes from a conversation between Jesus and a thief on the cross. Uh, There are about seven statements Jesus makes on the cross, and we kind of jump into the middle of this conversation here, and we focused on verse 42 of Luke 23, where there are nine words there, where there the thief says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And we just kind of unpack that passage. There's lots of things that are implied in that statement. When you realize you got two men who are on the cross, both of them are just moments away from death. And to have this conversation, it, it shows us that both men understood there's something beyond just the present. And that's, that's kind of what we focused on as we looked at several things. We, we really built upon four points there as we kind of considered this. Uh, we, we talked about could somebody like that thief who was being executed by the government for his crimes find room in God's kingdom? And that's a question we often ask ourselves, is there, is there a place for me? You know, I've done some things that's bad. Maybe I think I'm too bad for the kingdom. But we saw in that how important that is. We saw also in that those nine words that there was something beyond death. Uh, you don't tell a dying man, remember, if he's going to die and that's it. Uh, that, that very idea indicates that even though he was dying and Jesus was dying, he understood that there was something beyond death. Then we talked about the idea of the kingdom. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. He understood Jesus was coming. Jesus was coming in his kingdom. Even though death was taking Jesus away right there, that that wasn't going to stop the kingdom. And then at the very end, we focused upon the comforting words of Jesus, where he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So that's kind of the nutshell of the lesson, it just kind of reminds us of some powerful biblical principles that we need to kind of keep before us. It's available, of course, at charlestownroad.org and in our podcast feed of sermons. I would certainly encourage you to go back and revisit that. People often have questions about this scene, and Roger, I have a feeling you and I could preach for the rest of the year from what happened there in Luke 23 one way or another. But I want to draw your attention, first of all, to you had a phrase at the very bottom of the uh, the interactive outline that we have available even now at charlestownroad.org, a good, simple summary. And there are lessons that we can learn from each one of these crosses. So let's take them one at a time. You had one died a criminal, one died a savior, one died saved. What about that first one? One died a criminal. Well, they were criminal. You know, the Rome didn't just randomly grab people and put them on a cross. They they had been in prison. They had committed crimes. Uh, we we refer to uh, the one as the thief in the cross. I think they're both thieves. Uh, in verse forty and forty one, we get more indication of this. 
when uh, the penitent thief says to his fellow thief, he says, do you not even fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? He understood he was condemned by God, condemned by the government. And then verse 41, he says, and we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve. He understood that they had done wrong. And both men were dying because they had done wrong. One man died a criminal. There, there's no indication in any of the Gospels that this, this one thief had a change of heart. Uh, at the very beginning of the story, both of them are hurling abuse at Jesus. Both of them are caught up in what the crowd's doing, making fun of Jesus. But one of them changes. One of them there's no indication he did change. And so one died a criminal, and one died without getting the saving grace of Jesus and having the hope of heaven. And he died justly for what he had what he had done. All right, so <laughs> you and I have preached a lot of funerals. Um, there are people who have in their minds that, well, as someone dies, however that person had lived, as soon as you die, it's it's like you become a saint and you just go to a better place. Death is the door to go to a better place, regardless of how you lived. I have a feeling you, just like I, have heard people talk about a variety of people like that, right? Almost as if death transfers you into a, a state where, well, no worries whatsoever. What I hear you saying is we're, we can't be so sure about this man. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, our, our hope is in Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus was saying in the Gospel of John, unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. And so because someone dies young, Someone dies serving another person. We have a fireman or a policeman or a soldier overseas, and they die protecting us. I mean, uh, uh, a lot of people get the idea that's just a golden ticket, and you're going to automatically go to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. Our, our walk with God determines that. And so there's no indication that this one thief ever walked with God, no indication that he was sorry for what he did, no indication that he believed in Jesus and so, uh, you know, the, the idea here is we don't see any hope for this person. Now, you know, we're not going to be God and sit in that chair, but, but from all things the Bible teaches us, we don't see anything. Yeah, yeah. Verse 39, the last words that we hear from him are described as railing against Jesus. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. One died a criminal. All right. What about the one in the middle? One died a savior. Why is that such a powerful thing to think about here in the middle of this week? Well, you know, that's, of course, Jesus. Jesus was between these two thieves. For uh, the common citizen who happened to be watching this, he would have just thought, well, Rome was executing three different people for different reasons. They would have thought Jesus was just as guilty, but he was innocent. Uh, Pilate knew he was innocent. Heaven knew he was innocent. He had committed no crimes. Jesus died as a sacrifice for us. He died as a savior. He saved us. And that's, that's the key thing about this. And 
the way Jesus died, I think, leads going to lead us to the the third person on that cross, uh, who's the penitent one, because there's no indication that man was at the Sermon on the Mount, no indication he saw any miracles, no indication that he followed Jesus all his life. While Jesus is out there doing good, this man was doing bad. But the way Jesus died was so unusual. Uh, crucifixions were very common. They happened all the time in Rome. They lined the main streets up with just crosses just to let people know that if you mess with Rome, this is your outcome. And people would try to make deals with the people crucifying to get them off. They would curse the crucifiers. They would, they would plead and beg and do all kinds of things. Jesus didn't do any of those things. And Jesus is prayerful. He's praying about other people. He's taking care of his mother and having John take care of his mother. He's praying for the the very soldiers that nailed him to the cross. And so the the spirit of Jesus was different in life, and it was different in death. And that's what's so unique about that. His death became the satisfaction or the propitiation for our sins. Because of his death, we can have salvation. Hard to imagine the impression that it would have made on the criminals on either side of Jesus, the soldiers that had done this deed, the various bystanders to hear that man on the middle cross say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. One died a criminal, one died a savior. Your last words on that outline were, one died saved. Now, I... You know, you and I, we have talked about this man before. There are how many sermons that have been preached about this man. Uh, The thief on the cross is a phrase that a wide variety of people would recognize in even today's popular culture. Why is it so incredible that this other criminal died saved? Well, you know, to the to the last breath of Jesus, that's what he was doing. He was saving, and we see this man have a change of heart. And those those nine words that we just read there in verse forty two, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Here was somebody who wanted to be in that kingdom. Here was someone who understood that Jesus, even after death, was going to have a kingdom and be the king. Here's someone who understood that that Jesus is dying righteously, and so he wouldn't be connected with that. He left his he left his his other thief on the cross. He he wasn't wanting to be associated with him. He wanted to be associated with Jesus. And so that change of heart, that change of attitude, this is what we call him the penitent thief. He he realizes that Jesus is right and he is wrong. And he he wants to be with Jesus. And that that change of heart is what brought about salvation through the grace of God. You know, he's the ultimate example of that famous parable of Jesus, the laborers in the vineyard, right? That some are hired very, very early in the morning and they spend all day working for the master. Others are hired at various times. And then one is hired at, how Jesus puts it, the 11th hour, right? And even he, the one who is at the very end of the day, plugged into the will of the master, gets a reward. How how desperately we need to make sure our hearts don't grow 
so accustomed to this story, maybe callous to this story, that the wonder of the fact that this man makes that nine-word plea and Jesus responds positively to it. This man, to your point, very opposite of that first criminal, we have every reason to believe this man He is enjoying what all of us would hope to enjoy over the course of a a lifetime of service. Now, you know just as surely as I do that this man's case oftentimes presents interesting questions in the minds of people. Okay, you're saying he's penitent. You're saying that he was saved. Can I just do or tell someone else to do what this man did in order to be reconciled? to God today? And and the answer is yes and no. The, the answer is if I have a penitent change of heart, I'm going to change my ways and believe in Jesus and do whatever Jesus tells me to do, the answer would be yes. But most times this question is asked, it's asked in a way to bypass baptism. And Jesus commands baptism. Uh, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Matthew say that. He told his apostles, go into all the world and preach that. And so what a lot of people wanted to do is I, I just want to do nothing and just say, Jesus, remember me. And at the very end, he's going to save me. Uh, you know, and I think implied in that is I don't have to worship. I don't have to change my life. All I have to do is just say what this man said, and that will save me. Well, that that is a stretch. And that's bypassing everything else Jesus says and Jesus expects of us. And so we're not on the cross. We're not dying. We, we have life in our body. And the Lord wants us to live righteous lives. The Lord wants us to believe in him. The Lord wants us to walk with him. The Lord wants us to obey him. And that includes baptism. And so can, can I be saved like the thief in a sense that I'm going to do what Jesus tells me to do? The answer is yes. Now, and of course, the question always comes up, why wasn't he baptized? Well, he's dying on the cross. He's not coming off that cross. Uh, he couldn't be. And the main reason is, is that the sacrifice hadn't been offered yet. Right. Uh, you take this lamb from Israel back in the Old Testament, and you're going to make a sacrifice. Well, as, as gruesome as this is, the first thing you do is slice the throat of that lamb, collect its blood. Well, while it's gasping, it's still alive. It's not completely dead. Jesus here is in conversation. Jesus is still alive. And so the sacrifice hasn't been offered yet. Once Jesus died, this and this is what's interesting. This man is not the only person that Jesus forgave before the cross. We see other examples. That man that was lowered down through the ceiling, he says, your sins are forgiven. And so there are multiple people that Jesus had forgiven. But after the cross, after the burial, after the resurrection, there is not one person we can point to in the Bible that was saved without repentance and baptism. There's not one person. The book of Acts, person after person, crowd after crowd, had to be immersed for the salvation of their uh, of, of their sins. And so so when we think about this, can I be saved like the thief? Well, Jesus wants me to be baptized. Am I going to do that? If I say no, then right there I'm not like the thief. And Jesus wants me to worship him. Well, I say no, right there I'm not like the thief. And if I'm not willing to do what God wants me to do, 
I'm not acting like that thief. I'm not really believing. I'm, I'm kind of saying, God, here's, here's the terms and you save me, but I'm going to do this, this, and this. And we never, ever can do that with God. Yeah. Hebrews chapter nine would be a great passage to read along those lines. Uh, that writer is describing exactly what we are talking about here, that a will goes into place only once the testator, the uh, the maker of that will, has died, right? A will only goes into effect when the one who has made that will has passed away. Jesus has a will for those of us on this side of his death. And so it is absolutely amazing that that second thief died saved, but we need to be really careful that we listen to what Jesus tells us after his resurrection from the dead, of course. Uh, Your third point in that sermon, of course, all of these points are valuable, but uh, underneath that third point where you drew attention to this thief saw that the kingdom belonged to the Lord, you highlighted just briefly that usually when a king or a ruler dies, the power shifts to someone else. But Jesus's kingdom is different. In yeah. what way? Well, you know, we, you know, and I use the illustration of just recently what happened in England. The Queen of England died. She's no longer in power. So the power shifted to the next one in line, her son. He's now King Charles III. He's now the ruler of England. No longer is the queen in charge. Uh, and that's typically what happens when the president of the United States passes away. The vice president becomes a president. We've seen this in our history. Here, Jesus was dying, but the power wasn't going to shift. Jesus was going to remain the king and be the king. Paul would say in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 that he's the sovereign. He's the king of king and the Lord of lords. So Jesus reigns today. And so the, this this points to not only the kingdom, but it points to the resurrection and his ascension and that he reigns today in heaven. And that's, just, again, just a, a powerful concept as we think about Jesus dying, yet Jesus remaining the king. Yeah, there is the connection from 2,000 years ago, this man on the cross, all the way to where you and I are today. All right, what about in Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus is responsible response to that nine-word request from the thief, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Two dying men might not naturally easily talk about what they're going to do later today, right? And yet that's the way Jesus talks. What's he mean by you'll be with me in Paradise. Well, first of all, that, that's a very comforting thought. He, he didn't say, you're going to be sent to paradise. You're going to be with me. Jesus was going to paradise. This penitent thief was going to paradise. Notice in that context, Jesus did not say, all of us are going to be in paradise. He says, you. He's responding to this thief who made that request. 
And so, so what is paradise? Well, in, in Acts chapter 2, as Peter is preaching about the resurrected Jesus, he would say in verse 31, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Uh, the body went to the grave. We know that happened to Jesus. It went into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea for three days, and then it came out. Well, when the body went in there, where did the soul go? book of Ecclesiastes says the soul goes to God. And so it goes to paradise, or it goes to Abraham's bosom, as Luke 16 tells us, or to Hades here. And the word Hades is not a bad word. It, it, it simply means the unseen world. And, and that's where the souls go until uh, there is a resurrection that takes place. And so we see that in Luke 16, that the rich man Lazarus, they both died. And Lazarus is carried away to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also went to Hades, but he was in agony here. So, so what, 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 is, what Jesus is talking about here is their souls. He didn't say, well, I'm going to be going to the brand new tomb and you're going to the dump. He didn't, the, the body didn't matter. What he's talking about is the soul. The soul is what's going to live on. And so today, this day, you'll be with me in paradise. And the very word paradise is comforting. You know, we, we, we think about maybe using that word for a vacation. I'm wanting to go to some place that's a paradise. We may think of palm trees and islands and beaches and just, just a beautiful scenery here. And, and so the idea of paradise is comfort. Jesus was going to go to comfort. The, this penitent thief was going to go to comfort. They were going to a place where the righteous dead will be. And that's, I think that's the comforting thing we see with that. All right. Last question here. We've drawn attention over and over again to just nine words there in verse 42. Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Is there a way that you and I, anyone listening today, can say, remember me just like this man said? I think there is a way. And now, again, if we're hanging our hat on that being our salvation, we got to read the rest of the New Testament and understand right. that, that that alone will not save us. But the very last words of the book of Nehemiah is a prayer. And what Nehemiah says in Nehemiah thirteen thirty one, remember me, O my God, for good. And, and I think there's there's a way in which we can do that. God remember. God's going to know you already. He's going to remember already. But but there's a sense of of just re- remember me. I, I want to keep this relationship. I love you. You love me. And I think there's a way in which we can do that. And again, to understand the, the context we say that in, to understand the meaning behind all that. I think there there is a wonderful comfort in, in thinking those thoughts. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm always looking. I know I, most all of us struggle at times with prayer. We get in prayer ruts. We uh, sometimes just don't know what to pray. It strikes me that I'm, I'm not sure I have ever prayed to God, maybe at the start of a day or at the end of the day, would you remember me? But I I love you highlighting Nehemiah using the same sort of language. 
a lot of comfort that we can draw from a really dark scene in Luke chapter 23. Roger, I appreciate you drawing our attention to it, and we're thankful to brothers in Christ who just so consistently do a good job of capturing this material on the first day of every week and on Wednesday night so that we can talk about it and recommend it days, weeks, months, even years after the fact. We're thankful to have that resource freely available at charlestownroad.org. Roger, it's Wednesday. We're looking forward here. It's a beautiful spring day, 7 o'clock p.m. We're going to be gathering together to study the Bible, you're going to be in the auditorium. We started a series just last Wednesday on the marks of maturity. And so we're going to start uncovering a little bit more. What does that mean to be a mature Christian? As we think about the steps it takes to finish, uh, this is our theme this year, finish what was started. And part of that is becoming a mature child of God. And we're going to start looking at some characteristics of that beginning tonight. In our Building Blocks track of studies, we're exploring this month, what is repentance? If you missed part one, it's freely available at charlestownroad.org. Last Wednesday, we looked at what repentance is more than. Tonight, we're going to talk about how repentance involves a change of mind. Really important principle for all of us to grasp and be able to talk about. Roger, you've got the opportunity to preach this Sunday morning again, 9.30 a.m. What do you have lined up? We're going to Matthew 13, one of the parables of Jesus. It's probably one of the little more difficult parables. It's called the parable of the tares. And we're going to talk about the world we live in. And just let the passage kind of explain several simple principles about the world in which we live in today. Roger, thanks for joining me today. We truly appreciate all of you for listening to this week at Charlestown Road. We would love to see you at 7 o'clock p.m. this evening. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week, and we would love to have you come and grow with us.